Chaos looms, and darkness swiftly approaches. It's time to build your fires and defend the perimeter. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Perimeter. This is episode 7. I'm your host, Jeff Putnam, and today I'm going to be joined by an individual who has undergone an experience that many of us will hopefully never go through. Almost 10 years ago, my guest, Sizecast, went through a brutal attack in the middle of the night in a way that you only have seen in movies. Um, since then, he's gone through several post-traumatic growth type changes in his life. And recently he just finished his first book, which is a fiction thriller based on the events that almost cost his life. So with that, I'm gonna bring Sal on and we're gonna have a good conversation. Uh, for those of you watching, if you have any comments, questions that you wanna ask me or ask Silas, feel free to do so in the live chat. And uh, Silas and I will both be taking the questions and throwing them up onto the screen uh, and addressing you all uh, at, towards the end of the show, probably uh, for the last 25 minutes or so. 
So with that, I'm going to bring Silas on. We'll get the show rocking. Silas, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, man. Um, you know, when I first saw your story uh, and I reached out to you, uh, this is almost a year ago, and uh, it blew me away, especially when you kind of gave me the rundown of how it went. And what you went through was something that hopefully no one else ever has to go through. But, I mean, you're pretty lucky to have made it through. Well, you know, some call it luck. You know, I, I, I do like to call it skill. I just want to correct you there. Um, you know, I mean, people do call it luck, but um, yeah, I like to joke it's skill. And uh, I, I want to say something. There's a bit of a delay. So if there's kind of an awkward pause between what you're saying, I just want to make sure you, you know, I'm not sure. I got you. That's all right. Uh, that happens occasionally. Um, that's the issue with going live. Uh, but I like doing them live because it gives people the opportunity to ask questions of the guests and kind of get to know you a little better, um, especially if there's anything we don't cover. So this happened almost 10 years ago, correct? Yep. Yeah, we're looking. Yeah, coming up on 10 years, correct. Okay. So since then, obviously, uh, you've had to do a lot of healing internally as well as externally because you sustained uh, a pretty brutal wound that probably would have taken most of us out. So I'll take you up on that, uh, that it's all skill, no luck. <laughs> uh, but why don't you go ahead and kind of walk us through the events of what happened and uh, kind of give us the whole story, man. All right. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'd say it's been an adventure and, and, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's interesting that I come out with a story nine, 10 years later and, and there's, there, there are reasons for that. Right. So, um, but if we want to go back and start with the attack itself, um, you know, this was February, 2012 at the time of the attack, I had gone through about three years of just a huge battle from a, from a, from an ugly divorce. Right. And this was actually a year after the divorce was final, but there was a lot of, there's still a battle over custody of the kids. Um, at the time, if I, if I'm, if I'm honest, I, I was going back and forth with whether or not I was going to have to give up the battle um, and resign to not knowing my kids until they were 18. But I was hanging on to a thread there to, uh, to maintain my, my presence in their life. Right. So, um, come to the, the attack, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that, but come to the attack. It was February, 2012. Like I said, um, the, the night before was the super bowl and, uh, you know, I'm a Patriots fan and they lost, uh, to the giants and that was pretty painful, but, um, it turned out to be a, you know, sort of an ugly, an ugly night. People, uh, enjoy, you know, I was in Texas and uh, people were throwing drinks at me left and right. And so I was, if there was a night to attack me, I'd say this was, this was a good night. Right. So it was after the Pats lost, people had been buying me drinks and, but 
So the next morning, um, I actually, it's kind of funny. I got a work call at 2.39 a.m. I know that because I was able to look um, back when I was when I was thinking about this um, this issue or this this incident um, and I was asleep but I got woken up by a work call and as I was falling as I was falling back asleep after I hung up the phone from work um, there were some my the master bedroom was on the first floor and right outside my window was the gate to come to the back the back of the house and there were rocks right there and there were neighbors cats used to hang out in our backyard all the time but right when i'm hanging up the phone falling back asleep i uh heard some rocks kick up I, I, I didn't even think anything of it i thought it was the cats but i was basically asleep um just falling back asleep and uh just a split second before I was woken up by just a foot kind of swiping against my my hardwood floors but before i could register anything i was smacked inside of the head right upside the uh right above my left eye i was hit by a you know the best description of it is a, a an old wood wooden baton that you'd see uh police carrying uh in the olden days um i've never really figured out where that came from where she got it from but um so it's so, like a nightstick I mean, yeah, basically, basically kind of a, but it was like a bat, right? It wasn't that uniform nightstick. It was more like a bat. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly where she got that. Yeah, right. right. So, yeah, I, I, sometimes I got to let the delay kind of work through here. Because um, I can still hear myself telling the story in the background. Um, so, I, uh, the second I got hit in the face, I mean, I was up quickly i mean there was there was no thinking involved at all i mean i was up on my feet trying to like fight this attacker back and i didn't know who it was um my first thought went to my ex-wife but what was weird was i was trying as i was trying to um get a grab or you know hit back or whatever my eyes were still adjusting um and i couldn't she, the, the person had no hair like did not have the long hair which it confused me um, because my ex-wife had very long hair. So I, I figured if it was her, I was going to feel some hair as I'm flailing around. Right. Um, but as we're fighting and going through that, there was just a big pop and, uh, you know, a flash of light. And, uh, you know, it was just a, looking back, it was just a little 22 um, that she had brought. Um, and so if we were outside, that sound wouldn't have been wouldn't have been very loud, but when you're in a 12 by 12 room, that sound just boom, went right, right to your eardrums. And so knowing there was a gun there, I sat back down on my bed and said, all right, this person obviously is, you know, serious. And, uh, I sat back down and turned on my light next to the bed. And there's my ex-wife sitting at the, uh, end of my bed, just sort of rocking back and forth. Like, you know, I mean, you could just you could just see the adrenaline run through her, run through her, uh, her body because she's, you know, she's just pumped up. You can tell she's rocking back and forth. And so when I turn on that light, I look at her and I'm just like, okay, I, I figure out who it is. And she starts barking orders, you know, send, send an email to your lawyer that you're giving up custody of the kids. Right. So this all came about, this was about a week before, um, we were to have a hearing and uh, she was under threat that she was going to lose custody of the kids. So 
she started barking these orders saying, you're going to send an email to your lawyer and uh, give up custody of your kids. And I'm like, all right, fine. You know, at this point, I'm like, you win. You want that? Sure. Um, I'm pretty much saying whatever she wants to hear. And uh, um, then she's changed direction. She's like, give me your password. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I gave her an old password and she's like, what was that? And I was like, that was the date of our first ever hearing. Right. So through the divorce, we'd gone through, you know, three different hearings. She had tried to put six different protective orders against me. Um, that all led up to this. Right. But then I give her that random password, which was an old password. It wouldn't have worked. Um, but she changes direction again. She goes, turn over. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But I didn't. With my state of mind, I'd just been woken up. You know, I was still in a haze. I had drank quite a bit the night before. So my uh, my mental state was not really in the best spot. So I eventually just sort of I hesitated, but I complied with what she wanted and I turned over. And so she crawls up and uh, straddles the back of my legs, takes my legs and starts to or takes my arms, excuse me, um, and starts to wrap my wrist with flex ties. And so I'm I'm still confused. I'm like, you know what? what exactly is her plan, but I didn't know quite what to do. At one point, right before she tightened it, I tried to, I jerked my body, right, trying to get her off, but the gun was right there next to her, and she had it in her hand before I could even kick her off. So, um, yeah, sorry, I'm letting the delay go through for a second. So, so I started telling her, look, you're not going to get away with this, right? Your, your fingerprints are already all over me. You know, you're not, there's no way you're getting over me. And this is, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget the, the sound of her voice because she lowered her voice and she goes, they won't find you. Sorry, I'm letting the, letting this go through. Yeah. They won't find you. I'm going to clean you up real good. And it was just sort of this really creepy. I mean, like you can't, you can't even redo it because it was so weird and so creepy. So, you know, I just kind of let that go. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly my next plan of action, because this is not going to happen. And so she ties up my arms. She ties up my, or she ties up my wrists. She then ties up my legs. So I'm bound, um, kind of hogtied with my uh, arms and wrists behind me, legs tied up face down on my bed. And she gets up, she starts walking around my bed. She undoes my bed sheets and starts wrapping them around my, around my body. And so, you know, at this point you're just like, there's obviously a, a bigger plan here. Um, but it was, the time I, I heard saran wrap being kind of ripped apart from its from its coil or whatever you want to call it. And uh, as she starts wrapping some saran wrap around my face, um, I just go, you're going to kill me if you're doing this. And, you know, again, this was the, the next thing that just, you know, creeped me out. She goes, I'm not going to kill you. And her and her Texan accent. She didn't always talk with a Texan accent, but in these moments, her Texan accent was as thick as I had ever heard it. And she goes, I'm not going to kill you. I love you. And sort of a, just a long, elongated. And I'm just like, this is crazy. So at that point, I mean, this whole time I had been trying to rub the 
my wrist together to see if I could get loose. But as she wraps that around my, my head, um, you know, the, my breath was, you know, coming back into my nose. I was basically breathing in my own breath. Um, and you, know, you could kind of feel that warmth of it. And, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with my hands and she finally realizes that I'm like trying to, trying to rub my hands together, see if I can get loose from the, from flex ties. And she starts yelling at me, you know, stop struggling, stop struggling. And then in that, in, uh, that kind of tussle, not, not really tussle, but she started hitting the back of my head and I actually fell face down onto my floor. And it was, these were again, laminate hard, hardwood sort of, um, fake wood floors and uh i was face down wrapped up in saran wrap and i'm just at this point i'm just struggling sort of in a panic um struggling and and uh you know I, the sound of my own voice at this point creeped me out because i was just screaming but the kids but the kids right and it, part of me was trying to scream to see if a neighbor could hear me through the windows and, uh, you know, I'm, I'll never forget the sound of my own voice. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, make that sound again right now. And uh, she's beating the back of my head. I'm struggling with my, with my fist cuffs, my, my wrist cuffs, whatever. Um, and uh, I'm trying to go and she's beating the head. And my head's getting hit twice, right? She hits the back of my head. My, the front of my head hits the, hits the uh, floor, you know, with every time she was giving everything she could get um i mean i wound up with 13 staples in the back of my head from that beating jesus and uh yeah um and uh so but eventually like i started feeling the wrist cuffs sort of get loose right and uh so my uh, you know i was a little bit encouraged and uh i uh but at the same time my breath is start starting to start start you know I didn't have much air left there. And I was, I was kind of holding my breath, not trying to take breaths while I'm doing it, but I got loose from the wrist cuffs and they kicked out. And the first thing I did was, you know, just rip a hole in the saran wrap. And I'm again, I'll never forget. This is just that, that cool air, right. Relative to the warm air you're breathing when you're breathing your own air, um, that cool air that just entered my, entered my lungs was just like amazing. But, as that happened in in one swoop, and I'll, I, I can't even tell you. It must be adrenaline, but uh, my right leg just kicked out of those fist cuffs, or just came up, and it just kicked. And uh, for some reason, that got my leg cuffs. Um, you know, they just broke the leg cuffs, and I jumped up. I was on um, on my two feet finally. And, uh, but she was there, she was, her eyes were dazed. She was confused. Like how the hell did this just happen? Um, but she still had the gun in her, in her hand. And I start, we start fighting for the gun. As that happens, the gun just goes off. It's that same pop, right? Which if we were outside and I was five feet away, would have been not, done nothing, but it was literally right here in front of my face. Um, and, uh, you know, again, the sound, just the ringing in my ears was ridiculous. I, that didn't go away for a couple of days, but the bullet from that shot, the first shot that had gone off, went into the floor. This shot um, hit me in the cheek and went out the back of my neck, but I didn't know that because I, what I felt was as if the bullet had grazed the side of my ear above the ear. Um, but in reality, I, I figured out a few days later that the bullet had gone in my cheek, gone underneath my ear 
and out my neck, probably about a, maybe an inch from my spine. So, but I didn't, I honestly didn't figure that out for a couple of days. And uh, so from there, like we're still, after that fire goes or that gun goes off, um, eventually somehow I got hold of the gun, right? And uh, so I had the gun, she's a little bit dazed. I'm actually trying to figure out the gun, but it, it was like broken or something. I don't know what happened to it. Cause I tried to see if I could turn it on her and, and shoot her. Um, but it was not, it was not gonna, gonna work. And, uh, she went out into my garage, which is right next door to the master bedroom. And I don't know what she was doing, but I'm trying to figure out the gun. And then all of a sudden I hear her coming back in from the basement and I ran to the door, tried to shut it, but she gets a broom in there, starts trying to, you know, shove the broom into the, into the door, trying to get back in. And, uh, I took the gun, I turned it around and I started hitting her over the head with it. And I, I didn't turn around. I had it by the handle. So the, the, uh, the gun was facing that way, but I hit her over the head with it. And the, uh, the gun hit her right on top of the head, you know, that the, the cock was just right there and just hit her on top of the head. And, uh, probably three or four times I hit her, hit her like that. And the very last time her and I ever looked eyes, was in this moment, I looked her right in the eyes and uh, a drip of blood just went right down her, just one drip of blood started coming out and went right down her nose. And, uh, you know, again, I'll never, I'll never forget that. So, um, but I got, finally got the door shut and thought it was over. I tried to get out my windows. My windows were jammed or something. Couldn't find my phone. Um, went over to go get to the other window and the phone was lying under my bed. But as I picked up the phone and started dialing 911, the door starts going, starts jingling as if she's trying to get back in. So I went into the bathroom um, and uh, as the voice of the 911 operator came on, the jiggling of the door stopped. Um, and uh, so I called 911 and they took 13 minutes <laughs> to get there. The reason being is they needed a sergeant um, to show up before they could go in because a gun was involved. So, you know, when they came, I was not, yeah, I, you know, I was not, uh, I was not trusting that it was even them because it took so long. There was a flash of light in my bedroom that I saw and I'm like, I'm repeated over and over going, is that you guys? Can you confirm that that is you guys and not um, someone else? And uh, so, yeah, so then they confirmed it was them and I slowly opened up my bedroom door and there's a there's a cop just sitting there with a flashlight over one side and his gun drawn on the other side and I'm just like hands up the guns in the bathroom I left it over there and that's uh that was the end of it jeez i mean <laughs> you were hit over the head while you were asleep and then you were zip tied and then your face was wrapped in saran wrap and then you were beaten again and then shot in the face. Nothing like that ever really happens in real life. Right. You know, that is, that's movie home invasion shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I, um, I mean, it, it's a crazy story, but you know, something, you know, I mean, I, my father had died about 10 years, 10 years before that. And, uh, I've always, I've always said that he's, uh, 
he was there in the room helping me out. Right. I mean, he was in the one moment I needed him. He was there. There was, there was something it's, it's hard. It's hard not to look at an event like this and say there wasn't some stroke of and like luck. I mean, I, you know, I joke around that it was skill, but some stroke of luck that that bullet didn't go, um, you know, through my spine kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely lucky that, you know, I survived, I survived that. I, I was also lucky by, you know, some of her dumb decisions. I mean, you, know, you gotta, you gotta wonder what her plan was overall um, to, you know, at, I, I will say at the time, so this is 2009 or 2012, excuse me, um, the show Dexter. And if you've ever seen Dexter, I mean, that show was, that show was pretty, uh, um, was pretty popular at the time. And I always wonder if she, uh, she watched that. And because, you know, in that show, um, he used saran wrap to, to kind of keep his kill scenes, um, clean. And so I've always wondered if she, uh, was influenced by that. She was trying to get, I mean, do whatever. I'm obviously, she was trying to kill me, but, um, she, there was, there was some other plan that she had to make the decision she did. And, and those, those decisions of hers were what allowed me to at least fight. Right. And, and see another day ultimately. If he had just come up and just shot me in the head, you know, I wouldn't be here telling the story. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some theatrics to that. I think um, probably uh, some self-satisfying on her part to go through that whole theatrics and, you know, gain some power and control over you. And that right. seems to be um, the case for a lot of people who would perpetrate these kind of actions. Um, it, you know, it's kind of like a, a quest for power that they've never had before. And I can imagine, you know, she's probably feeling pretty powerless if all of the uh, false allegations and everything that were initially made against you and all the hearings um, trying to get protective orders against you. And then it turns out you're going to get custody of the kids. I can see how that would be um, attractive to her, right? Or at least someone in her shoes. Yeah. But, uh, with you saying that, you know, you think that's, you know, maybe your dad was, you know, there in some right. way or another helping right. you out. Yeah. You have, you mentioned, uh, in your story that you have no idea how or why, but you, your leg kicked out and you broke the zip ties on your legs. So, I mean, that right there alone is, um, you I mean, some people will call it luck. Some people will call it divine intervention or whatever you want to call it. But had that not happened, you wouldn't have been able to get to your face. I mean, get to your feet. Right. You know, and I mean, that's a, it's a, that's an ordeal, you know right. what I mean? To go through. Um, right. So what was the ultimate, uh, you, you know, tell us a little bit about what happened after that. You know, the cops showed up, uh, when did you realize yeah. you were actually shot in the face? I mean, you, well, yeah, I, that, you didn't recognize it at the beginning, no, probably because of the adrenaline. Yeah. Right. Well, that, it was, it was, yeah, it was days later. So, um, so when I walked out there and my hands up and I'm just trying to, you know, get outside the house to, to someone that can help me or, you know, safety, and he pushes me out and I was, you know, I, I have no idea where she is. I have no idea if she had a friend because, you know, one part I left out is in the middle of the attack. When I, when I uh, had gotten the gun away from her, she had just sort of in a weird voice just said, Rick, I'm ready for you. 
And I was like, you know, I didn't know if there was someone with her. I mean, he never, he never came in. Um, but I was certainly nervous that there was someone else with her, but I walked outside the house. So I walked in, saw the cop. He tells me to get outside outside. There's a man with a notepad and another guy just standing there with a flashlight over his, over his uh, shoulder. And so he, they're asking me questions. They're trying to get my story. What happened? And I, you know, I talked through them, answered their questions. Um, and there's an ambulance sitting at the bottom of my driveway. And so um, they shuffle me over there and say, you know, go, um, go there. So I walk over to the ambulance and I get in and, you know, he's trying to patch me up or not really patch me up, but put some bandages on my, um, on my face, trying to, you know, clean up some of the blood. And, you know, on the way there, he looks at me, he goes, you know, I I don't want to scare you, but, you know, I think I see brains and I'm like, you know, I mean, I, what do you, what do you say to that? Right. Like you just went through this and someone tells you, I think I see brains and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Right. So I, you know, I just shut up. I just kind of shook my head and uh, couldn't, couldn't really say anything back. So, um, so yeah, so then I, they, eventually they get me to the hospital and I'm wheeled in and I felt like a celebrity. I mean, you'd, you'd think, you'd think people, at five o'clock in the morning, seeing someone come in from a traumatic event would be used to that, right? But there were there were 20, 30 people, nurses, doctors lined up just watching me come through. I mean, I don't know if I was just the only only case that was coming in, but um it was it was kind of an odd feeling to watch everybody just sort of watch me come through. And then I spent the next couple of hours. And I'm, I'm laughing because of what something I did after this, but um, I spent a couple hours and they were stitching up my, the back of my head, which, you know, I understood. And, and the doctor said to me, and this, I, I didn't understand this. It, again, it took me days to figure this out, but he said, you know, I stitched up the back, but I left the front, your cheek open because we want to make sure any kind of pus or anything like that gets out. We don't want to, um, trap that in there to make sure. And I, I really didn't understand what was going on. So um, the minute I realized that I had actually been shot through, like the bullet had entered my face was um, two mornings later. Um, my, my One of my buddies had taken a picture and I'd kind of seen all the gauze around me and there was a lot on my neck. And, uh, you know, I was wondering why the hell is this still why is there blood still coming out of there? Right. And so, you know, what's, what's going on back there because it's still sore, not on my head where I expected it, but down on my neck. And that was when the, the moment was like, Oh, the bullet went through me and out my neck. And that was, it was that feeling of having that gauze and all the blood continuing two days later to come out. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, you know, the bullet bullet entered me. And so, and it was around then, I started scratching my, if I scratched below my ear, I felt a tingle above my ear. And if I scratched above my ear, I'd feel it below my ear. My, my nerves were all jacked up from that, from that shot. But it's, you know, to this day, if I scratch below my ear, it feels kind of weird. I can kind of feel it tingling upstairs. And if I get an x-ray of my face, I still got bullet fragments through my cheek. So, but yeah, it took me a couple of days to understand that. I mean, I, I didn't, I, just because the the sensation of having the bullet graze my head above my ear had me believing that it didn't it didn't hit me but it but it had so yeah 
So you go through all of this. <clears throat> now, I'm assuming that during this time that your children weren't home, correct? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, in this, yeah, in this moment, so we had, we had gone to, to court and I had brought up some things that she wasn't allowing me to see the kids and, and everything like that. So the judge at that point had given me um, temporary custody for the month until we were going to meet again in a month. And he was going to decide what to do with her. He had threatened her with jail, with fines, with, um, with just taking away custody and things like that. So she, they gave me temporary custody and they gave her one weekend for, um, for visitation during that month before the hearing. So this was ha this happened to be her weekend. Um, and she was going to, we were going to exchange. She was going to give me the kids the next day. So this was the night before she was supposed to give me the kids back. So the kids were with her. Um, we we're staying with her grandmother or her mom, their grandmother um, at this point in time when this happened. So, so all this happens, you go through the recovery process. Clearly she got arrested. Um, you know, yeah. they tracked her down and got her. Yep. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming she had to go to the hospital for the wounds you gave her on her head from, right. you know, hitting her with the yeah. gun. Right. Um, so she gets right. arrested. You know, obviously, uh, you've got the kids. <laughs> She's not going to get them at this point. Right. Um, right. Going through something like that can take a lot out of people. And I, I can only imagine it took a lot out of you, too, especially as, you know, time went by and you started to piece together the reality of what happened. And I mean, cause you know, they say you're never more alive until you're right there in between life and death. And you right. got about as close as you can possibly get without going to the other side. Right. Um, what was the, what was your strategy for yourself is yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's gone. She's in jail. Obviously, you know, she's going to be doing a lot of time for what she did. But here you are. You're, you have to recover from this and put yourself together at the same time, be a father to your kids and be an effective right. father to your kids. Right. Um, how did you handle meshing the kind of recovery, especially, I mean, the physical, that's kind of a no brainer. Uh, we're guys, we get through the physical shit without much right. effort, yep. you know, put some dirt on it. We're good. But the mental shit of a, hey, I was almost murdered and I was brutally attacked in the middle of the night, but Oh, I also have to be the epitome of what a father is. Right. And say, yep. I'm this cool collected Superman that my kids can right. count on when they need me. Right. You know, I'm sorry. You know, can your the echo came in. Can you repeat the last the last sentence or so of what you just? Oh, you just sorry. Um, no, that's now, right. I, I, I was just saying. You know, how, how how did you manage to do that? You know, when you're recovering from this right. psychologically okay. and still manage to yeah. be the Superman your kids need you to be as their dad. Yeah. Well, so uh, you know, I I would say you know I kind of talked early earlier about it taking about you know ten years for me to get to this point, right? So especially early on, it was a, it was a lot of up and down because 
when this happened, you know, I obviously got full custody. She was, you know, she was in jail. You know, she had, you know, something like a one and a half million dollar bond um, that she couldn't meet. And so it was and it was a year and a half until the trial actually happened. So that year and a half was just kind of weird, just trying to get to the to the to the trial. Um, but, you know, I'll I'll say there wasn't a lot of thought about my own personal recovery at the point in time it was thoughts of just getting through every day just sort of a a survival instinct right so there wasn't i mean you know i'll say at the time i was therapied out i'd gone through therapy for the last three years and you know it was you know i mean i was just i couldn't do it i couldn't go and just sort of talk about this you know quite yet and so there was just sort of a circle of wagons, you know, and we're about surviving and it's just me and my two boys. And I just need to get food on the table. Um, my job had obviously taken a hit um, because of the last few years there was, my focus was just trying to um, trying to get through it. And so I'm trying to get food. I mean, the boys were two and four, uh, you know, I mean, my youngest was, you know, still in diapers and, and just, um, trying to, you know, I, I don't know, I was trying to take care of my hat. I had to put them in, in daycare cause I could, you know, I worked at home and the only way I could work at all is get them in daycare. And, uh, you know, but it was definitely just circle the wagons. We're just going to kind of lick our wounds because this has been a battle, right? It's kind of like coming home from a war a little bit. Right. And so, you know, I can't go out and battle quite yet. I need to just kind of sit here, look, lick, lick my wounds get stronger um, and uh, and sort of get back on my two feet and at the same time, just sort of make sure that the boys are taken care of. And, and, uh, um, and so it took me a while to really get to the point to where I started to really focus on my, my own self. Now I'll say this, I mean, throughout the years, I'm, I'm thinking about how do I recover myself, but I don't think I really, turned to focus on that until the last couple of years, because, um, you know, those, those first younger years of my boys, it really was just, just, you know, let's kind of hunker down, take care of ourselves, make sure we're, we're strong enough to go out to the next, to the next phase. Right. And so we're, you know, really just in the last couple of years, getting to a point to where, all right, my boys, we're, we've got sort of a routine going. We're, we're pretty good. I can, you know, I can go for an hour and a half and, and, you know, do a podcast like this. Um, whereas, you know, a year or two ago, I, I couldn't have done this. I would have had to get a, a babysitter, right. To do it. And, uh, so the, having that single focus and just saying, wipe everything out, not worrying about it. And just having a single focus on just making sure we're okay. making sure my boys are okay. Making sure the basic necessities are met. That was my, pure focus and that kind of kept me going and uh it's only again it's only in the last couple of years that i'm trying to trying to really figure out how to you know what are the next steps and sort of this what we're talking about today and and the book that i wrote was sort of part of that right because um there's a when when you go through something like this you can you can put it in your past or you can start to look at you know what can i do with it you know how can i how can i maybe share the story in a way that helps other others 
So th th just this book in general is part of a part of the therapeutic process for me to t start talking about it. Right. So I think that, I mean, does that answer your question sort of? Yeah. I mean, it does, you know, <clears throat> funny enough, that's kind of a common strategy for a lot of people, um, especially men. We've got shit we have to do. We have obligations. We have, um, We've got responsibilities. Right. Right. So right. we don't have time to deal with this thing. And so we compartmentalize these parts of our lives. Right. And then we just say, well, we have to get this done. We've got to put food on the table. We got to do this. We got to do that. And eventually it can lead to, um, right. you know, you're, you're bubbled over because you're like that, you know, that bottle of champagne that got shook too hard. Right. And that cork is just ready to pop. But, I mean, obviously, things have changed. Um, before we get to your book, I know you mentioned that, and then we're definitely right. going to get into that a little bit. But before we get to it, uh, one thing uh, a lot of people probably want to know is your kids, do they know what happened with their mother? I mean, were they aware of what happened? Um, and are they aware now? I mean, and if, if so, how have you worked on approaching something like that with them? Because... It's hard enough for a lot of dads to talk to their kids about the birds and the bees. How do you tell them, hey, your mom shot me in the face? Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, like, that's been a um, – it's it's been a tricky dance, right? So, you know, they, they know they, – they found out a little earlier than maybe I would have expected them. And my, my philosophy has been you – know, I, I never want to lie to them, right? But, you know, that doesn't that doesn't mean they need to have all the details, right? So – you know, the day, you know, when they found out, when they found out, it was, it was a couple of years later, they found out their mom was in jail, um, you know, sort of by accident, which is, you know, I mean, it, it happens. And so, you know, from there, there were questions, mostly from my older son, just because, you know, he was, he was four, you know, just about four and a half when this happened, he at least had some memories, right? So it was, you know, he's, he's had questions. My younger son really hasn't, um, it's been sort of a non-issue. It's, you know, this is the way he's grown up. This is all he knows. But so, you know, again, like, it, you know, it got sort of told to them um, maybe at a moment that I was a little bit not quite ready, but, um, you know, it is what it is. So, but let me, let me step back. Uh, you know, I want to say when, when this first happened, right, the kids, you know, she, she was picked up in the hospital. The kids were there in the hospital with her, um, with their grandmother and uh, you know, the, the social services took the kids and brought them and put them with a the foster family. Right. So um, for the next three, four weeks, I was, they were staying at the foster family while I tried to get myself on my feet. I was not, I was not going to um, live another night or let those boys live another night in that house um, that, you know, that this had happened. Um, I was not comfortable at the time doing that. And I literally just walked away from the house um, and just, you know, kind of let it go and found a place to rent. And so, but the first time I picked up my boys um, from the foster family for, for a bit of a visitation, we're in the car and we're driving away. And my, uh, you know, I, I had stitches everywhere. I, you know, stitches here, you know, on my cheek, on my, on my, um, above my eye. And uh, they didn't ask about that, but the first thing out of my older son's 
voice and I, you know, I laugh, you know, I, I laugh. It's not really funny, but, um, but it's, it's just odd because his first comment was daddy's going to put mommy in a hole and you know, you're, you're kind of driving. It's, you know, you're, you are the dad, right. But he, there were a couple of moments where he would talk about his dad in the third person as if it didn't register with him that I was his dad at that moment. And uh, we said, mommy's or daddy's going to put mommy in a hole. And so I've always thought that that was projection. I think she, maybe she had a, 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 a grave dug for me before this happened. But so, you know, that gives you sort of a reference of where they were at four and a half years old. They didn't really understand. Right. But um, the questions didn't start to come for, you know, a couple of years later. I mean, they didn't, they didn't really ask a lot, you know, they were just staying with me for a while. And then, you know, my older son heard that his mom's in jail and he's like, no, she's not. And he was really defensive. But over time, maybe six months later, he came to me and said, dad, I know my mom's in jail. Right. So, I, and I don't know what flipped that switch. So, you know, he started asking questions. There's another, um, you know, they were asking what, you know, why was she there? And, you know, at, you know, five, at six years old, you know, about, all you can say is, you know, mom made a mistake and she made a decision that, you know, you know, that she was needed to needed to go and kind of pay a pay a penalty. Right. And that's all that's all you just keep a high level. Right. But um, but then, you know, a few maybe a year later, I don't know if it was a year later, but, you know, my son. And again, I don't know how he figured this out, but he said, did she use a gun? And I was, you know, again, I don't want to lie. And I was, you know, so I, I just asked him and I was about to drop him off at school. And, uh, he asked me that. So I just put it in, I just put it in park. And I said, um, you know, I said, yes, you did. And I just asked him, are there other questions you have? Because I wasn't going to drop him off on that, on that note. And so I, you know, parked the car and just started talking to him and he, and he didn't really have more questions than that, but it was interesting. I mean, he, he just sort of came out with that without, without really knowing. And it just sort of kind of, kind of came out over time for, for the story to kind of come out and that he's learned it a little bit. And then, um, you know, there's in this day and age, um, it's hard, it's hard to keep a, a story that's been on the internet, truly, truly silent. Right. So, um, you know, and he, and there was one day, I mean, you know, maybe a year or two ago, um, where he, he found the story online. So, um, you know, so he, my oldest son knows my, my younger son is less curious. Um, and so, you know, he knows the story cause his bigger brother told him, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of what you do. I mean, so for, from my perspective, it's, you know, I'm, I don't want to lie to them. And, you know, when they're asking questions, I want to answer as, as, uh, truthfully as I can, but, um, you know, there's no need to, to overshare with the details and, you know, and at the same time, this is their mom, right? So um, as bad as the action that she took against me, um, this is still their mom. So, you know, I want to, I want to be as respectful to their, to their, you know, needs. Um, you know, this is where they came from. So I'm always trying to balance that. Right. So that's kind of the best I can say to answer that question, I guess. I can, I have to say right here, um, before we go any further, that has to take a hell of a lot of 
character on your part to not overly badmouth the person that tried to end your life. Um, in this situation, I understand the circumstances and all, but I have to admit it would be very difficult for me to uh, refrain from slipping on that. Uh, and I think, you know, I just want to commend you on your part for having the foresight of that kind of um, that kind of restraint and what it's going to mean to them uh, in the future. You know, it, it shows a hell of a lot more strength on your part than I than I think you realize yeah. um, that. I even through all of that, you're not I, going to be like, you know, that murderous, whatever, right. you know, especially to them. Cause I mean, hell, that would be hell on any kid. It's gotta be hell as it is now, even right. though that, you know, they were young and didn't really understand a lot of what's going on. And they kind of grew up with the normalcy that you've given them as a single father. Um, but still that that's, that's commendable on your part to be able to, um, keep that in the forefront of your mind when interacting with them and asking their questions. Cause I don't yeah. think a lot of people would be able to do that. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's sorry again, the, the delay is coming in a little bit, but so, I mean, you know, I, I wanted to jump in there and go, you know, look, I mean, you know, I have my spots where I, where I unload. Right. So, you know, um, they, you know, I, and it's not to say I haven't, you know, made a mistake here and there, um, you know, when I'm talking about it with my boys, but, um, you know, ultimately I try with my boys to be, you know, to be respectful that it's their mom. And, and, you know, I, you know, I had moments where my older son was, um, was clearly very angry with her. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, something I wanted them to be able to kind of address the situation without, without it killing them. Right. So they can be mad. I mean, you know, the decision she made was, you know, I mean, when it, when you really come down to it, the second she broke into my house was the second she was okay with losing, um, losing contact with these boys for the rest of her life or, you know, rest of their lives. So, you know, that was, that was something she, I, mean, I don't know if she didn't think about it or, or, or what, or she's just too arrogant and thought she was going to get away with it. But I mean, I have my spots where I unload on, on her plenty. Right. So I can get, I can get that out. I mean, they're, there are times that I can, um, I, you know, I can, I can have some fun with it and just kind of let it go. But, you know, for them, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, no matter what it's, it's their mom and, you know, it's, they're, it's a, she's a part of them. Right. So, um, I don't want them to take on extra burden for, you know, for what, you know, what they have to go through. I mean, my older son, when it, when he first learned, he was telling everybody and, and their, and, you know, everybody good that, you know, his mom was in jail. And so that was an important lesson to go, you know, there are people that might want to, you know, you might feel comfortable sharing that with, but it's definitely not something you share with everybody. Um, you got to trust that you got to trust the people you're telling that to. But so, you know, I, you know, I just want to jump in and just say, I mean, I, I do my best, you know, with my boys, but I, you know, I have areas, you know, I, I have people I can, you know, lean on and just sort of, you know, talk about it and not be so kind. Right. I mean, there, there are places I can do that with my boys. It's not, um, I want them to be able to forgive her. Right. And, 
when I talk about forgiving her, I don't, you know, we don't have to forgive her for her part. It's for our part because, you know, if we carry around that anger, you know, forget it. You know, that's, that, that's when we lose. Um, and my boys lose when they focus on their anger with her. Um, so if I can get them to a point where they forgive her for their own sanity, right? So it's not going through their brain and killing them and killing their goals and their dreams and stuff. Um, that would be ideal. I think. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't have anything to add to that. I completely agree with everything. Um, so here we are, you know, nine years later, uh, and you've written a book. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. What, uh, tell us about the book. I mean, you, you, you know, a lot of people would, would you go on these speaking tours saying, Hey, I got right. shot in the face. Don't marry crazy yeah. women. And you went a completely different route. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, like you and I have been working together on this um, for a while. And so, um, but I'll say before, you know, you and I sat down and started talking about this project, um, I had started and stopped probably three or four different books. And the, the thought, I mean, actually when it first happened, I was trying to find a ghostwriter, you know, if I, um, if I had, you know, met some of the people that I know now as I've written the book, it probably would have, uh, would have used their services. But, um, I mean, I'd started and stopped three or four different directions of nonfiction books. Right. And so the underlying need was to talk more about, um, the domestic violence that happens. That is not necessarily, the domestic violence that we hear about, right? So first of all, being a man, being a male who had gone through this, it's a, it's a, it's an odd situation. It's not something you hear about a lot, but, um, there's a stigma behind yeah. that, right? You yeah. know, well, the, well, the, the, well, the, the man who right. gets I mean, abused by yeah. his wife, that's, that's a societal yeah. stigma that we have, but it right. does happen uh, right. Right. much and, more often than it's reported. Right. But yeah. Sorry. Let me let the, kind of finished through just so I can hear everything you said. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think as, as a male, it's not easy to, um, to really report or to talk, talk to people about it. I mean, if you look before the attack, um, I was trying to um, get anyone and everybody to really listen that there was, there was more of a danger. Right. And, that was, that was difficult, right? Because nothing, it was always under the radar. It was never overt um, abuse. And it was kind of like, you know, I mean, this is stuff you should be able to handle. Um, but, um, you know, two years before the attack, um, I had started trying to figure out, can I get, you know, some support here, right? Because it was costing me every dime I had and not just my, my money. I mean, if I didn't have support from, from family, you know, it, it would have been difficult to continue fighting to be in my boys' lives. Um, but two years before that, I'd started writing a little bit um, about what I was going through at that, that time. And I'll, you know, in April of 2010, two years before this, I wrote the words and actually I don't, I don't have them exactly, but um, you know, I wrote the words, this woman is going to try to kill me. And I, I don't mean that metaphorically. 
this woman's going to try to kill me, like literally, right? And I spent the next two years trying to reconcile that, right? Because, I mean, I would talk to experts. I mean, I was talking to cops. I was talking to lawyers. I was talking to a guardian ad litem. Um, plus another, you know, I mean, I, at one point I hired a parental supervisor so I could, I was protected against some of the accusations I was going through. I mean, I had, I had a whole team of people working on this and we couldn't figure out exactly what to do. And, and there was, it was only a couple of months before this happened that a psychologist finally had me believing that she wasn't capable of violence. I mean, I was always sort of watching out um, or thinking that was possible, um, but no one around me did, you know, aside from, you know, some family members, no one, you know, the, the third party observers, right. That were more objective. None of them were worried about that. Um, and so it was hard to, it was really difficult to, communicate or articulate the potential threat and so like as a man you know it's difficult enough to talk about these things in general because um because you are the man right and and you know telling people about these things oh you know what that's nuts um but it's there's an underlying knowledge that you have that you can't convey in your words, um, because, you know, you see the look in her eye or you see, um, her, her body language, you know, and you can kind of see that it's, that there's more behind it. Right. Um, so, and I, I lost a little bit of my train of thought, but, um, it's difficult for men to come forward. You know, if, you know, a woman slaps you, you're not going to go run into the cop saying she slapped me, right? I mean, that's, you know, I can, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that. But, but th those are things that, you know, women will maybe go run into their friend and talk about a man trying to tell his, his buddy that my, my wife slapped me wouldn't, you know, that's, that's not a comfortable conversation to have. So, and even then um, it would probably be dismissed as well. You right, shouldn't have, right. Yeah. Uh, you should have for, you should have forgot your anniversary, or right. you should have right. looked at yeah. her sister's ass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's almost yeah, right. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's sort of an awkward thing for a man. And and there's been some studies. There's something I tried to share, you know, a few months back, where there's it was a video about where they take the same situation, right, where the woman is. Um, being sort of verbally abused in public and seeing the, the reaction around versus taking the same situation with a man, you know, where one, one situation, they come to the aid of the woman and this one, there's people laughing and kind of making fun of it. So there's, you know, that is definitely a part of this, this culture. And, you know, and I really think um, we've got it. We don't have the right for lack of a better word, narrative around domestic abuse. I mean, abuse itself is the need for control. And, you know, there's something underlying that requires that person to, you know, they need to control their environment or their loved one, or their, you know, it's, it's out of fear of losing them or it's out of fear um, of being, and, and, and my theory, and I, th I think if I, if we researched enough, this, you know, this would be backed up, but um, 
you know, I'm just hanging up saying I'm speculating a little bit, but my theory is that, you know, control is a requirement of humans, right? It's a, it's a human issue. It's not a male or female issue. When, when someone feels that need to control their loved one, it's going to lead to, lead to higher, um, or, you know, continue ex escalation, you know, as one side says, no, I'm not going to let you control me. This person uses, you know, you know, stronger and stronger methods to do that if they're, um, you know, and so there's, there's a balance. I mean, everyone has, you know, their needs and they want their needs met, but, you know, the abusive will, will have a stronger need and, uh, and sort of enforce their control. I mean, they, they have to control their environment for whatever reason it is. So I think, you know, I think it's, it's a human issue of needing to control their, either their environment, their loved one. Um, so I think if we can, face it as sort of more of a, a human issue rather than a male versus female, we might get a better idea of, of how to, how to help people identify when they're in that situation. Right. So that, you know, that was part of my, I mean, ultimately I was trying to figure out a way to, um, to use my story to sort of talk about that kind of, or, you know, talk about the male side of, of uh, being in a situation like this um, and raise awareness to it. So, Again, you know, a year ago, I mean, I'd written two or three nonfiction stories, but when you're trying to talk about a weird situation, like, you know, she brought a, a pet rat and she staged it during one of my visitations with my three month old kid, because I had to see him at my house where she was living. I was living outside, but because he was so young, I had to go visit him and have my visitations um, at the house with the, with the parental supervisor that I'd hired. So there was no um, accusations made, but you know, it's, it's difficult to put that story where she staged a pet rat in the middle of the visitation in order to create this idea that the house she was living in was unlivable, right? It's hard to put that story into like a real written nonfiction format that that's interesting. So you know, the first time you and I talked and I talked about this story, um, we pretty quickly started talking about what if, what if we do take this and, and do a fictional story. And with that, I can kind of um, have a little bit more license to to make, you know, the stories a little bit more, a um, little bit more readable, a little more interesting. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of where the book came from. And then, uh, you know, throughout the year that the the book itself, the ideas, the themes, they all, they all evolved throughout the year as I've gone through that. And, you know, as you know, um, you know, it became a, a trilogy. And so this first book is based on, you know, true events, you know, that occurred in my life. Um, and I tweaked it a little bit because there are some people out there that may be listening to this that think they know the ending. And I'm just saying, you don't know the ending, right? Because, you know, because I was, <laughs> uh, you know, um, be careful. Um you know, and, and that was part of it, right? So I, I can come out and talk about my story, but you can go read that book and still there's, you know, enough twists, right? Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's about as much as, I, you know, I can say about that. I mean, it's been, you know, it's been a year, you know, we went with the fictional um, story and uh, I mean, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a, um, a blast writing it. And I, you know, I think, you know, we're just, we're just going through the first, cut of edits and you know but i think when we're 
when we're finished, um, you know, it's going to be an, a, a good read for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, I remember a year ago when you and I first started talking about working together on this project and going the fictional route, you know, like you mentioned with, you know, how do you put in there? Well, she staged um, a pet store rat, you know, in the house to make it look like the house was rat infested um, right. and actually put that into this is the the subtle eyebrow raising events that led up to her you know, trying to kill me in the middle of the night and actually make that bridge happen. Right. But with a fictional story, you can add it in just like you would a, um, like a, like a, a thriller movie, right. Where you right. got the, the psycho spouse or the psycho boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, right. dynamic. And it's those little bitty creepy things that add up in that context that make right. you go, Oh crap. Yeah. And people, people's brains start turning a little bit and they go, yeah, if I seen something like that, I'd have to get a divorce immediately because I already know she's nuts or, you know, it, it allows those stories, allow people to make them relatable to their own right. lives versus I did this. She did this. I thought it was this. Nobody believed me. She shot me. It, it right. doesn't really put it together. And right. I agree, man, it has been really fun working with you on this project for the past uh, year now. Um, I noticed you got that poster there in the back uh, of your book cover. Uh, what's the title of the book? Well, it's called Interrupted Dreams. And, um, oh, that's appropriate. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I mean, I was woken up in the middle of the night. I mean, you know, I, I could say my dream was at that night was interrupted. But, um, you know, the trilogy itself is, is about is more right is, is, you know, it, you know, it's about, you know, people have their dreams. Right. And you um you have your dreams, whether it's, you know, your nightly dream, but also your goals and dreams, you know, of what you see and maybe a relationship and things like that and how uh, those things can be, those things can, can work out great, but they can also just, you know, kind of change and, or be, or be just completely interrupted. And, um, you know, that, that dream kind of, kind of ends. Right. So, um, I mean, but it's an, it's an ultimate theme over the, over the entire th trilogy of, of, uh, you know, people's dreams and how they can be, you know, how they can change, but you know, how someone, someone's need, you know, someone's abuse or control can really, can really kill that dream, right. In terms of what you, what you wanted when you first set out on, you know, that adventure with a, with a romantic partner. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll tell you right now, uh, just thinking about that kind of scenario has got to be, uh, I don't know how to put this exactly. It has to be one of the most in detail creep factor fears that some people would have. Um, especially if they've ever gone through a divorce or a nasty custody right. battle, whether it be with um, their ex-wife or their ex-husband, someone, you know, their, their psycho ex breaking into the house yeah. in the middle of the night and then, you know, tying them up, beating them, shooting right. them, you know, that whole thing alone is uh, something that a lot of people will have fears of. And sadly, a lot of other people have gone through, maybe not to that very extreme case, but that fear is very real. Um, right. And yeah. I, 
I like the way that you put it, that you, know, you want to bring more awareness to the male side of that, because like you said, right. you know, it, it's, it's, it's a very awkward conversation to go and tell your buddy, Hey, my wife hits me. Right. And, but right. there's these other factors that if we ignore them too much, maybe the next person this happens to isn't going to be as right. lucky as you. Right. Maybe they're going to be the one that get stuffed in the hole and never seen or heard from again. And then you're watching, um, you know, on TV, uh, unsolved mysteries. Nobody knows what happened to the dude, but the wife's right. you know, just chilling. Right. But what do you have planned? Uh, I know you've got this trilogy. This book is going through the first cut of edits and obviously you're going to have the second and the third installments of it, um, right. which I can already tell for those of uh, who are going to be watching and listening to this episode, you definitely want to get all three of these books. It's going to be, uh, a, a, they're all going to be page turners that you're not going to want to put down. Uh, Cause just when you think something's going on, it's one of those where the rug gets pulled out from under you. But as far as bringing the awareness to the men's side of domestic violence, which is very, you know, uncommon thing for a lot of people. Um, do you have any future plans for how you're going to try to go about that? Well, so, yeah, sorry, let me, I'm struggling with that, that echo, but, um, well, so, um, you know, uh, a portion of the proceeds from the book will will definitely go to domestic violence causes. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, even just the other day I got, you know, I was, I received some, you know, information on other people that, that have studied this and shown sort of, sort of the, the way, the, what I'm thinking that kind of concurs with what my thinking is about domestic violence. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you're really going to be able to tackle the idea that, um, you know, the males going through this, um, you know, are going to have trouble reporting it, right? It's going to be difficult for them to talk about, but that's not to say we don't expand and, and help understand, you know, what, what are the early signs of when a partner is starting to try to control, um, and, and that, that need for control starts to escalate, right? Because that, you know, it can, it can go to as far as it went with me, but it can just be sort of, you know, where you're just simply compromising your values and you're not the person you want to be. Right. So, um, and there's, you know, it's not always, the answer isn't always, well, this person is, you know, crossed my boundaries and, you know, and, and so I'm going to leave, but no, but there's, there's a point where, you know, you kind of, you, you meet your own, your own boundaries, you meet, you know, where your values are being, and, and, your values are being compromised because of this. Um, and you can establish that boundary um, and make sure that that person understands where that's at. And, you know, it's up to them. It's up to your partner to decide whether or not they're going to respect that, that boundary. Right. And that's, that's when it, that's when it starts to become a problem. And so, but if you're establishing that boundary, you know what that boundary is and you're very clear about that boundary and you see that person not respecting that, then you can start looking at, okay, this is, this is, this is a problem, right? But healthy relationships, I mean, whether it's business or romantic or, you know, whatever it is, just friendly, you know, people need to respect your boundaries. You need to know what each other's boundaries are and you both respect healthy relationships will respect that. Right. So 
you know, you talk about, you know, say the perimeter I talk about, you know, when I first, um, you know, went through this, my boundary was a lot closer, right? I mean, my, my perimeter was, you know, very tight, right? I mean, like, there's no, we're kind of in a cave, kind of shutting down, you know, nobody's, nobody's getting in here, right? We're just going to kind of take care of ourselves, you know, and then, you know, I was able to start to expand my perimeter, and I'm still doing that now. But um, so how am I, you know, obviously, I'm going to, um, you know, I shared, I'm going to um, put a portion of proceeds towards domestic violence causes. Um, but, you know, right now, I'm still, I'm still learning a lot um, about the, the, um, the subject itself, right. And one of the difficulties I've had is understanding the true, the true impact of males and what they what they really go through what is that unreported stuff that we ought to know about right but is difficult to get out there um there are some studies that you know that will say different things but again like i said you know if i could kind of change the the vision to start looking at this as more of a human issue rather than um, a male versus female issue um you know i think I think we'd get a better encompassing understanding of what um, abuse really looks like, I guess. Um, yeah, it, it's not a gender specific issue. It's right. not, you know, men or women. Um, right. And, you know, a lot of people will hear this and go, well, if, you know, um, my wife had done this or my girlfriend had done that. I would just, da, da, da. No, no, you wouldn't have, not, not unless you wanted to, you know, go to jail because the way the court system is stacked now, it does put right. men in a hard position. If men right. go, Hey, my wife, you know, hit me over the back of the head with a golf club. I want to press charges. And then they come home and she's, you know, pulled some of her own hair out. Well, guess who's in trouble. It's you. Right. You know, um, and that stuff does happen. But I, I do agree with you that it's a human issue. It's not, you know, just a, a male or female issue. And um, being able to figure out a way to effectively deal with it as a culture, right, where it's not so stigmatized if a guy goes, hey, you know, um, my wife is probably going to kill me and people take it as a joke, right? Because right. everybody, every guy says that, you know, right. oh yeah. man, my wife's going to kill me because I right. ran over her flowers in the garden. No, 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 no. I really mean my wife's right. going to friggin' kill me because she's doing all this creepy shit and no one wants to take it seriously because she's the itty bitty woman and I'm the big strong man. And it's, you know, it turns into cultural horse shit um, where someone ends up in your position and damn near loses their life over it. Right. So um, I agree. It's, I wish you a whole lot of luck with that because it's something that a lot of men are actually going to hear. And some of them, whether they want to admit it or not, have gone through it and they've written it off or they've just pushed it to the side. They don't even realize like, you know what, man, that, that woman was actually abusive. Some guys can say that, especially once they're safe, you know, in a divorce and go, yeah, man, my wife was abusive, manipulative, you know, right. nut job. I'm glad I got out when I did. And then right. there's those that are still there that get told, well, you know, happy wife, happy life. You should just, you know, be better. And maybe she won't act and nag and do this and that and the other and do all this other crazy stuff or stuff you call is crazy when they're actually nut jobs. Like, obviously, your ex-wife was. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but she's a nut job. 
to do what she did. You know, no, no sane person goes to the theatrics of that um, in the way that she did with you. Right. Um, but yeah. So let me just. <laughs> Yeah. Well, right. So, I mean, you know, but so uh, if obviously when you're, when you come out of a situation like this, you second question yourself, like all you look back at what you, you know, happened and, and uh, you know, the reality is um, I, you know, when this occurred, I was a different man than I had been the first, you know, 30 years of my, my life. When I, when I met her, I was, I was at a point, I was um the lowest I'd had in confidence um, in my life. Right. So, I mean, I allowed some things to occur that in a previous life I would, I just would have walked away from, I mean, I had walked away from women for a lot less than what she did, but it was my, you know, my state of mind where I was at. I mean, she picked the perfect time, um, you know, to, to meet me, but, you know, even with that, right. So, I mean, you can run into a bad person. It doesn't go into that part of part of why I'm able to share the story is because it went to that extreme. Right. So, I mean, if, if this did, hadn't gone to her practically killing me, I, you know, it probably, I probably wouldn't be talking about it much. Um, so yeah. And I'm trying to let myself talk in my ear. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do tell people when they're, when they're going through a divorce, you know, good luck, don't get shot. But, um, you know, I mean, it's definitely a crazy, a crazy situation. And, uh, uh, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you know, I, I also tell people she was my, you know, I won the lottery. I was just playing the wrong lottery. She was my one in a million. I was just playing the wrong lottery, but you know, I mean, it's that, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is I saw, I, I allowed some of my values to be compromised in the early part of that relationship. Right. So it doesn't have to get there if you're strong. I mean, so, you know, if you're strong in your, your own personal um, values and your, your own personal needs um, the relationship, you can, you can understand whether that relationship is healthy or not um, with whether or not your partner is, is, uh, is respectful of, of those, you know, boundaries that you have. And, you know, like I said, I would have walked away and you know, I walked away for women for less, you know, prior to that, for some reason, right in this time, you know, I was, I was in a perfect spot. Um, and I compromised my own values, um, in this relationship. And that's what ultimately led to this. So, um, you know, that's. Yeah. You know, it's, you were, you were, you ended up in that position because maybe you were in a vulnerable spot when the relationship began and you, it was just yeah. something you kind of hung on to. And that happens to a lot of people, uh, both men and women, and they end up in relationships they really should have ever got into for all the wrong reasons, you know, whether it's a rebound or um, it was just that uh, attachment thing, right? Something to cling on to and hold on to and say, all right, this, this part of my life will make sense if I have this thing. Right. And, yep. you, and you do whatever you can and you make these compromises and little lies to yourself yeah. um, in order to justify it to yourself and the world. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, I, I can't imagine most people, 
or walking into a marriage going, you know, I mean, people joke, this is my first marriage, but you know, I mean, most people aren't envisioning um, going through a divorce, certainly not a divorce like this, but, um, but then when you're in that situation, the problem is you, you, you've allowed your values to be compromised. Now you're, now you're in the middle of the quagmire. So at least my thought process, I wanted to make sure that I had done everything I possibly could to ensure that when I look back on it, I don't have regrets of what I could have, what I could have done better. And, but that honestly led to a bit of a longer process um, where, if, you know, that where I should have been able to see it is where I started making excuses for her, right? The pregnancy was making her crazy. The wet, the pressure from the wedding was making things crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, I should have been able to recognize it at that point. If I went back today, I, I probably would, right? But it's, you know, it's in the, um, it's in the past. It happened, whatever. Um, but that, desire to make sure that I'd done everything I could right um, before I walked away from it. And I did, I mean, ultimately the, the final nail in the coffin of that wedding was when, um, you know, I was willing to, to take whatever, whatever she was telling me was wrong with me, which was a lot. Um, I'll go, I'll go talk to someone about it and see if it's true. Right. I mean, I didn't believe it, but you know, I was willing to go out and talk, but I wasn't getting that same, I wasn't getting that same, um, um, you know, the, the same actions in return. And I was like, you know what, I don't have somebody that's, you know, gonna, gonna work with me, but so, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if I have more to say on that, but. No, it, it makes sense. You know, it, that pretty much encapsulates the whole system, pretty, uh, the whole, right. uh, situation pretty well of how it goes down for a lot of people. I will say this, though, man, it's been an honor to work with you for this past year, especially on this project. Um, I know after people hear this episode, they're definitely going to want to reach out, talk, maybe possibly even share some of their own experiences with you. Um, and this goes for, you know, not just if you're a man, obviously, this is going to be something that, you know, a lot of women, a lot more women have probably gone through than men. Um and again, the issue is a human issue. It's not a, a gender specific issue just for right. men or just for women. Um, so people do want to reach out to you um, and talk to you a bit about their experiences or um, even just kind of ask you some questions about that. Where can people right. find you? Well, um, I mean, I've, you know, my website is bullethead.books.com. Um, and then every, pretty much every, anywhere on uh, social media, well, Twitter and Instagram, both at bullethead books, all one word, um, bullethead books. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's where I can be found And, and you know, I'll, I'll say, I mean, I, I mean, I would love to hear from, from other guys that have kind of gone through something like this, even if it's not to this degree, because, um, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm trying to figure out ways to bring better awareness to this with the, with the idea that, you know, it's going to be difficult to overcome that barrier of having men talking about it. But if we can find a way to make that easier, maybe it makes sense. Yeah. You got some uh, guy here in the comments, wishing you well, telling you to stay safe. Yeah, no, um, Jeff. Uh, hey, thanks for that comment, man. You know, Jeff, Jeff knows well, he's, uh, um, he's someone that he's someone that helped me out there. Um, you know, so he, I, I can, I can say he knows firsthand, exactly what I'm talking about, but thanks for the comment, Jeff. 
Yeah. So yeah. with everything that you've talked about here, um, dealing with what you dealt with, the long, almost 10 year road to recovery, um, both psychologically and physically. Um, and I would imagine some emotional as well. Um, if you could leave the audience and, and for anyone else who is going to listen to this episode on the audio version or watch this episode, um, if you could leave them with anything, um, what would it be? Um, well, besides if you go through a divorce, just don't get shot, but no, um, yeah, besides that, yeah, yeah that, that right, should right. be a given, but some people do need yeah, to be told. Uh, you know, that's why we have you know, warning labels. People look at me funny when I say it, but, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest thing that I learned is, um, is understanding those, is understanding those boundaries. I think when you start making excuses for the other person, you got, you got to at least take a look at the validity of those excuses. Um, I mean, people have go through tough things. Sometimes people react um, in the, in a way that you wouldn't expect. And, you know, it may be something they're just going through, but you have to at least take a look at yourself, you know, because ultimately you're the only person that's responsible for, you know, whether you stay in a situation or not. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, one way to see it is if you're, if you feel yourself making excuses for, for the, for the person you're with. And again, it's, I mean, this happens business romantic, whatever it is. I mean, if you're feeling guilted into maintaining a business relationship, it's the same thing. So, you know, pay attention to your, your own, your own internal thoughts when you're going through things like this. Um, there's a, there's a line between allowing the excuses to, to overcome, you know, to, to give them that justification versus when you're starting to compromise your own values. And if you don't, and if you don't know your own values, um, that's the first step. You got to You got to make sure you know exactly where that line is. Um, and like I said, lines that I had kept prior to this, I allowed them to be, you know, crossed. And I mean, I, sh you know, if I could go back further, that's where I would have cut that, you know, what that's where exactly where I would just cut it. And again, a healthy relationship can talk about those boundaries. And so if you can talk about those boundaries and you can each respect it, that that's okay. But so, but you got to know where your boundaries are. If you, if you don't, you know, you can't, you can't hold tight to them. I agree 100%. That's what it means to defend the perimeter the title of the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, that and perimeter has to be maintained. Your, I mean, yeah, yeah. Those boundaries are your personal perimeter, right? So, you know, I mean, you've got, you've got your physical boundaries, but you also have your internal boundaries. And if someone's encroaching on them, that, you know, it's up to you to defend that, to defend that boundary. Right. And, you know, you don't have, you know, I, I talk about it in those terms, but you don't have to be aggressive to, to make sure your boundaries are not crossed to, to communicate what those boundaries are, but it is, it's the same thing. Those boundaries are your perimeter in terms of your, your needs. And, you know, the right person out there is going to be able to, to, to respect those, respect those boundaries. 100% agree. Um, yep. Silas, thank you for hey, coming Jeff, on the show, man. Yeah, this has know, been awesome. Jeff, yeah, Jeff, it's, you know, it's been an honor. I, you know, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on, but 
the you know it's been i mean i'm not sure this book would have gotten to this point maybe it would have been completely different you know without your help so um you know we've had a lot of a lot of sessions and there was a lot of up and downs there were times when i wasn't sure the book was even gonna was gonna you know get finished i think you know what i'm talking about so you know it's been but it's been an, a real interesting year this has probably been my best year um personally since the attack in terms of addressing some of those underlying you know emotional or internal thoughts about what i've gone through so this has been incredibly therapeutic um for me the whole year to to write this book so it's been fun but i can't thank you enough uh, it's my pleasure man it's been great working with you yeah um so for those of you who do want to connect with silas you can see right here on the screen and if you're listening on the audio version you can follow him on instagram it is at bullethead books twitter at bullethead books and his website surprise surprise www.bullettheadbooks.com so one more time silas thank you for coming on the show Thank you, sir. I really appreciate um, you having me on, and uh, it's been an honor. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. All right. For those of you that have been watching, there will be an audio of the show in case you didn't catch all of it. You want to go back and recap. I don't want to sit down and watch the whole video. Uh, the podcast is on the perimeter, you can anchor.fm slash perimeter, and you'll be able to get all of the episodes of the perimeter, as well as the old archive episodes of the Ready Legacy podcast. And there are up to, I think, 54 of them before I switch over to this new platform of the show. Um, that said, thank you all for watching. This has been episode seven of the perimeter with Silas Cast, and that's going to do it for this episode. You all stay safe. You got to defend the perimeter.